Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 320, where you can take our land, but you can never take our freedom! Freedom! What? What? What are you doing? Isn't this uh, that guy? No, this is not that oh, guy. Oh, it's the wrong guy? It's the wrong guy. Oh. Yes, wrong guy. In fact, you're the wrong country oh. altogether. Oh. <laughs> I, I was so sure of myself, too. <laughs> I put blue face paint on because he said this would work. <laughs> I wondered what that was about. You had blue face paint on. He had a kilt on. I wondered what was going on tonight. Well, the kilt still works, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I think Irish wear kilts, too, sometimes. No, no, no. Not as frequently as Scottish. But <laughs> What about bagpipes? No, no bagpipes. <laughs> Is that no bagpipes because you don't like them, or no bagpipes because... <laughs> Just no bad bi- bagpipes. <laughs> I'm Keith. Monty, it's Sean. Cancel the bagpipes. Don't come over. Yeah, I, it's a Glenn thing. I don't know. Okay, bye. I'm Sean. He was right outside the door, wasn't he? He was. Why well, you are so ready. lucky. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? <laughs> well, I'm a bit confused and discombobulated now, but um, I'm good. I could have well. sworn that was the guy. No. Nope. <laughs> I should have known the accent was slightly off. <laughs> he sounded a lot I just grumpier. thought he was doing a bad accent. <laughs> he was really grumpy. <laughs> Is that a thing oh, like dear. I can I can hear Brenda typing up. <laughs> Brenda, we knew it was all a joke. Before we come out as too ignorant, I didn't know who the guy was, but I knew it wasn't that guy. <laughs> Did you guys have a good week? Address mail to Glenn at travelingtheworldbox.com. <laughs> yes, yes, I had a good week. Did you guys do anything fun? No, no, I did nothing. <laughs> no, uh, I watched King Kong. Which King Kong? The Peter Jackson remake from 2006, five, five, something five. Like yeah, 2005. I did too. Did you? You did get around to it. But after I watched the 70s version of King Kong. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, got you both watched it in order. Both of them. And I watched I it in I'm order. Gonna, I'm going to watch the 70s version this week. You're going to work your way backwards? Yeah. Well, yeah, I might, I might be. Because <laughs> might as well. I, I haven't gone all the way back to the 1930s one. So. I watched it too. The Peter Jackson one? Yeah. Oh. I watched it on the shelf where I uh. thought about pulling it off and never got to it. So I, I booted up the uh, extended edition and then realized I haven't seen this since the theater. I should really rewatch yeah. the original uh, version. The exact first. Same, same thing I did. I was about to watch the extended edition and I thought, you know, I haven't seen this since probably 2005. I probably should just watch the theatrical first. So. It was really, I really enjoyed it. It's good. It's still the, the, the first hour is kind of slow until you get to the island. It's but. still a great story. They, the he did a really nice job of the story. I don't think the CGI holds. Up. I was wowed by it. Two thousand five It was incredible. I don't think the CGI, the CGI for King Kong holds up tremendously. I think the CGI still looks fantastic. That's where all the attention and money went. You can tell. The rest of it is good. Don't get me wrong, and it doesn't take you out of the story, especially <laughs> when you compare it to the nineteen thirties one with stop motion. It doesn't quite hold up. It looks a little dated, but uh, mostly when the actual people are there with them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's when else. it's the worst. Yeah. When it's when it doesn't have the people involved, it's not so bad. But. Yeah. What I didn't realize because I didn't rewatch the thirties version before going to see it in the theaters originally, how true and how much homage there was to the original film in Peter Jackson's version, down to dialogue lifted from the film and. Then even to the breaking of the T-Rex's jaw and then playing with it a little bit, which was in the original film, which just that part wowed me. Well, the, the references to getting Faye Ray to, or getting, how about Faye? You know, yeah. He's trying to find another actress. He says, no, she's doing something with RKO. In uh, fact, some Cooper film. Some Cooper film, <laughs> which completely harkens back. So It's the entire thing. It's nice. There were a lot of little nods. Peter Jackson put his loving touch on it, and I think he wanted all those kind of homages in there. And I, I think my, my, my only complaint still is that it is still a little too long. I wound up breaking into two viewings. Truthfully, I watched it really late at night, when I sh- which I shouldn't have, but truthfully, I didn't. I felt it was longer when I saw it in the theater than when I saw it this time. It was time. really long when we saw it in the theater. Well, because <laughs> because you didn't know what to expect. And this time I knew all the Going beats, into it, it's a little... I knew, yeah, I knew where, where everything was going to be. And so 
I think that's why it didn't feel as long because I knew where I was in the story. Yeah. Whereas when you see it the first time, you don't have any idea that they're going to have all of that exhibition in the middle on the island. So. Yeah. The seventies version I thought was pretty good. I didn't love it as much. I thought it was interesting the update to get everybody to the island of how they approached it, and then kind of the motivations once they get to the island all very different. But then after that, it's kind of the same. Yeah. Exact same thing except for no monsters to fight on the island aside from one giant snake which i found very interesting and then of course ending it on the two towers was kind of was a very different take too which i which i liked it was it was pretty good on the two towers the twin towers the twin towers yeah (laughs) i uh it's not one i'd probably go back to pretty very frequently just because it's so starkly different but it was enjoyable it's one of those ones that i kind of held a special place for in my heart because i was talking to keith earlier this week it's probably my favorite but not because it's better than the other two or that it's even done better than the other two it's the one that i grew up with it was the first introduction to king kong i had 1976 i probably saw it shortly thereafter when it first debuted on hbo and then it became an hbo staple for me i'd every time it was on hbo i'd watch it so the ironic thing about it is is i have now seen it probably for more than 20 years so <laughs> going back i may change my mind but yeah <laughs> it's still it still has that special place for me because it was my first and there's a lot of uh, people that, uh, oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy now. Yeah. I think yeah. if I had seen him when I was younger, I probably wouldn't recognize a lot of people, like Rene Auberginois and maybe not even Jeff Bridges because he was so young. Yeah. Dino De Laurentiis was really proud of his mechanical ape that <laughs> apparently didn't work. 15 minutes of screen time is all it gets <laughs> through the entire The rest of it's Rick Baker. <laughs> yeah. Dressed in a monkey suit. I think those are the parts that look better. <laughs> a lot of people agree with you. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a strikingly good animatronic suit for that era. Oh yeah, I mean, it looks oh, yeah. terrific. So they did a good job with it. Anyway, I don't think I really watched it. Oh, no, I did. I watched uh, King Kong versus Godzilla as well. I have that one in my collection, and I thought, you know what, I I, I kind of want some slap slappy silly monster film, and so I popped that in, and it's as bad as it uh, has always been. <laughs> it's so bad it's good and i just love it i think i'm gonna save that for Enjoy. when the remake comes out and then i've got king kong escapes as well on blu-ray which probably i might get to this week i'm gonna get the king kong propers in first <laughs> and then if i get to that one i'll get to that one so. you we guys wa- do anything uh we watched order of the phoenix tonight which of course i had seen but having just finished reading the book i have to say so far i think that is the worst adaptation of the movie so far like from the book they there's so much that, that one's the most starkingly wow they cut a lot out of that yeah it's they, not they cut bad yeah. it's just there's so much not there from the book they had to, to correct all the stuff that got cut out of order of phoenix oh yeah but there's some there's it just feels like have have having read the book i understood why and how everything or happened not order of phoenix goblet of fire, fire. Yeah. I understood how and why everything happened the way it does. And you don't quite get the same understanding by the end of the film. And that's the whole idea of the book is here is why Harry is so important to everything. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of funny because I absolutely love the books. And Order of the Phoenix was a pretty decent book. It's not my favorite. But of the Harry Potter films, I like Order of the Phoenix. I probably would be different if I hadn't done them in reverse because I would have felt like Order of the Phoenix... I mean, or done them right because I read the books and then I would see the films. Oh, but the thing is, going into order, knowing everything that I knew about Order of the Phoenix, I thought Order of the Phoenix was a much more action-packed. It was moved better, it was, trucked along yep. better than Goblet. It actually, it moved better than any of the films. And it so has the best pacing. Structurally, I think it's the best of the films until maybe you narratively get to, maybe not until so you much. get to Deathly Hollows. But Deathly Hollows works well as a two-film. As a as a two part film yeah. for me, so mm. because there was so much that had to come out of that book, so yeah, mm. I, I think we're gonna go ahead until the end, move on forward, and read book six next. So I finished mm. Cursed Child. How was it? It's uneven. It's tough to read as it because it is a stage play. Um, the only thing I will say because I don't want to ruin it because they'll be they'll, it will ruin it if I say much about it. But they do reintroduce the time turner. Which I always thought was ironic that J.K. Rowling in an interview said that 
she got rid of the time turner early on and decided not to use the time turners because there was too many things there were too many questions left un, un, unanswered <laughs> like why didn't you just go back and do this why don't you just use time turner so she just dropped it all together instead of trying to explain it or make them make them work or put Which, rules or regulations on them only for them to turn around and use them very heavily <laughs> in the play and so i got a little i don't know that i'm gonna hmm. like this because that was one of the things i've always had problems with uh the second book was the time turners Third. but or third book yeah was the time turners but it worked okay again it's uneven there's some really great moments there's also some really why did you go that direction moments there's some moments in there that feel very fan fiction mm. uh, which i didn't like but um overall i'm glad i read it, it was worth reading it's definitely mm. worth reading it's on the shelf so we'll get to it eventually we finished Westworld. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, Patrick says, well, there's this theory that's going around online. Do you want to know? I said, yeah, sure. Because most of the time, these things don't have any basis on anything, and they're always oh, wrong. Yeah. And this one had it right. So when the reveal came, I kind of went, oh, I already knew that based on the theory the theory that, that this would know. So a little bit of the wind was sucked out of the sails from that, because I really feel like had I not heard the theory ahead of time that my jaw would have just been in my lap for the last half hour of that thing but it was still pretty amazing and, yeah and the, the, the last half hour is pretty spectacular yeah the uh you need to watch this show the, the man in black revelation i figured that's out in one. advance oh that's oh, did you yeah i i kind of uh thought that in advance on my own actually hmm. so i thought you were talking about the other revelation no i didn't get the other revelation at all so so many revelations yeah lots and lots and lots of revelations <laughs> I'm really curious to know where you go with that's why they're taking a year off because then after this one ends it's like now what (laughs) (laughs) and then we went and saw logan so did we what'd you think it was pretty it was really good uh it's a downer of a film yeah it's but it's i don't want to say it's my favorite of the wolverine films because it just seems wrong to say that about the movie (laughs) yeah it's the best of the wolverine films yeah uh, I love the fact that it's not a traditional Wolverine film or a traditional superhero film at all. It's kind of a story with superheroes in it, which they always talk about doing and never truly do, and this time they did. The strongest strength of it, and I know that there are people, If first of all, it's a hard R. It's which, very violent. Which is one of the things I appreciated about it, because if you're going to give a man metal claws that can cut through anything, there's going to be blood. <laughs> and for you can't the, PG-13 that. For the first time, seeing Wolverine outside of a PG-13 universe... He worked much better as a character. It, it, it was finally like, this is who he is. It's almost like he's censoring himself when he's around the rest of the X-Men because he knows he can't go there. Yeah. You know, because of their personalities, not because of a rating system, but just this is who he naturally is. And so that worked really, really well for the way it was structured. That might and be why I will have a pro- I can't say this, but I presume that's probably why I will have a problem with it. Because I think you guys are both absolutely 100% wrong. And the reason being is because Wolverine was created in the comic books in the 1980s and were much less than a PG-13 rating. Oh, well, that's and true. And it worked, and it was a great character, and it's, it, it survived all this, you know, 30-some years, for th- almost 40 years of a character in comic books at that level and so what they've done is they've taken it to another level which i don't i don't knock them for it and it's fine in the movie universe but i completely 100 percent disagree with you you give a guy metal claws he did it all the way through the 80s and 90s and in the cartoons and everything wow. and it never felt like it less cheapened the character for me so same thing with censoring yourself around the kids you they censored him all through the comics because you couldn't go to that level with that character because of your reader base so now the movie's have maybe sort of changed that, brought that level up a little bit, but I don't think that you had to go completely to the hard R. I don't think you had right. to well, go no, clear just, to that side. Even in the cartoon, I mean, keep in mind that my, my comic book knowledge of Wolverine is very limited. I know Wolverine from the 90s cartoon series and from the movies. That's most of what I know him from, too. And even in the 90s cartoon series, I thought this this is a different animal than, than what you're really portraying him as. I mean, you, first of all, I don't believe that you can have this adamantium grafted onto your skeleton and not be a little pissy with everybody <laughs> that's just and and that well and he was in the comics but it was they they were able to strike that tone where you it still came across that he was that kind of guy but it didn't have to have the violence it didn't have to now throughout the 90s the comics when leafield came on and those guys mcfarland came on those all they, they did become a little more graphic even the comics nowadays are a lot more graphic than they were yeah. 20 30 years ago when i was reading comics but 
to say that it unleashes something that should have been there, I don't think it has to. Well, I'm not saying necessarily it should have been there. I just feel like, for me, I feel tonally this is the proper tone for Wolverine. For Wolverine. Not for anybody else. Not for anybody else in the X-Men universe. Not for the other comic book characters that are out there. And and quite honestly, now I'm a little worried because we've, <laughs> we've had this whole, well, Batman was dark and it did really well, so let's make the rest of the DC universe dark. Well, now we had Deadpool, which was rated R and did really well, and Logan's rated R and it's doing really well, so we should make all the superhero movies rated R. And it's like, no, it, it works for Deadpool for his reasons. I it think works it works for, this for Wolverine. Wolverine because of the way this one is structured and set up, I think it works for it. But I don't want to well, see a I'm rated afraid, R X-Men. I, I'm afraid Fox no. Fox has opened that Pandora's box. And in fact, yeah. I'm kind of glad that there's only a grouping of superheroes that are over at Fox right now. Because <laughs> I don't see Marvel ever doing that mm-hmm. with their properties. Even for money's sake. Because of the fact that they're at home at House of Mouse. DC, unfortunately, has done that with the, the dark go dark. But, yeah, I, I'm afraid that's what... Especially how badly Age of Apocalypse tanked. They're they're looking at money factor. And if Logan and, and Deadpool both turn major profits because of the fact that they set them in a hard R, R universe, that's all they're going to look at. Yeah. So, oh, make it a hard R. That'll make that'll bring the viewers out. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, they've opened that Pandora's box. There's a handful of heroes that I think it fits with. Ghost Rider, I, I think, is probably one that, because of its nature, you could go that way and be okay with it. Uh, Punisher obviously is Punisher, one that, yeah. that, that you could do that, but I don't want to see that which with they, everybody. Which they, Marvel almost does, anyways, with Netflix. Yeah, it's just on TV That's rated instead, M. Of, instead of, much all of the Netflix series. But anyway, I digress. I, I thought it was really, really good. Uh, it's extremely well done. It is dark. It's stark, and it's not a happy not totally movie. Stark. <laughs> well, I don't have to have my Wolverine be a happy movie either, so I'm not going to go into it with any sort of. Delusions that oh you've ruined my Wolverine character. No no no. <laughs> I, th- I think it I think it's fine for where it went. I just wanted to make the point that I disagree with what you guys are saying. The character doesn't have to be this. If that's the choice they make, then that's fine. And I think they structured that from the first trailer. I mean, you watch that first trailer and you kind of know oh. Well, I watched the Red Band trailer. Of that. <laughs> yeah. Do what to expect. So. But uh, it's it's really really well done, and I, I, I thought it was really good. It's not one that I'd go back to often though. Yeah, I mean, I, I watch comic book movies to escape, and this one has just <laughs> enough of a future realism to it that it's well, I almost watch, uncomfortable. I, I watch comic book movies to have fun, too, and along with the escape. And while it was a good film, I did not necessarily have fun throughout the journey mm-hmm. because it's so stark and so dark. It reminded um, me of James Cameron when he was talking about Aliens. He said, I really wanted it to feel like a 40-mile stretch of bad road. And that's kind of how Logan feels in a way. It's, it's It was as exhilarating as it was to watch and, and see it unfold. I was almost mentally exhausted by the time it was over with. Yeah. It, it's it's a movie that I've had to percolate on. Yeah. To make to know if I liked it or not. Yeah, Mel and I in the same way. That's about it. That's all we did. We snuck out and saw that uh, Friday. <laughs> I followed my taxes this weekend. That was the other big thing I did. So, huh. And we're getting money back. So we are excited. <laughs> Adult responsibilities. We're excited. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I didn't go to Logan this weekend. <laughs> no, I didn't go to Logan this weekend because nobody in my family is going to see it. Now that my hours are switching next week, I'll be able to go to later movies. So, Are you going to the uh, the 5 and the 9? I am. Uh-huh. I am. Congrats. Whole new world. Very whole new world. <laughs> we'll talk about more of that next week because yes. we'll talk about how the week went. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on to news. Candy Jar Books have announced details for... The fourth series of Lethbridge Stewart, starting with The Knight of the Intelligence, written by our good friend Andy Frankham Allen. And alongside it will be released Day of the Intelligence, the novella. They have also announced The Daughters of Earth by Sarah Groenwegen. Did I say that right this time? I believe so. Groen. Groen. You're supposed to check these things. I know. (laughs) Every single time. And The Dreamer's Lament by Benjamin Buford Jones. I think you got that one right. So, while Sarah has written a, a short story, she has now written her first full length for the line, and Benjamin is completely brand new to the series. His novel sees the return of Harold Chorley. Oh. Yay! 
in the Daughters of Earth, Sally takes a more central role in the story. Very cool. So you can pre-order Night of the Intelligence now as a subscription. For a shameless plug, if those of you are interested in picking up Night of the Intelligence, it also features a, a <laughs> prologue written by yours truly that is kicking off. Wait, you wrote books. something for I this? I did. I did. What? Yeah. Is that, why is this the first time hearing this? This is the short. <laughs> you do that. You're being funny. <laughs> William Wallace is not Cromwell. (laughs) (laughs) In other news, Big Finish has announced the final detail for the final story in the classic Doctor's New Monsters Volume 2. So previously we had the fifth Doctor facing off against Arachnos, the fourth Doctor, and the eighth Doctor in separate stories facing off against the Vashta Narada. And so this fourth Hmm. story will feature... Carrionites against the Sixth Doctor. So for those that don't remember, the Carrionites are are the ones from Shakespeare Code. The witches. Uh, I think that's a good pairing. That's a good pairing for six. Yeah. It makes me wonder if the uh, Vestian Arata is going to be a two-part story then that carries I'm not sure. It's the night and the day of the Vestian Arata. So I'm I'm assuming they would would be connected. And surprisingly, I didn't know this in advance of this uh, release... Jacqueline Pierce is in the fourth Doctor story. Now, Jacqueline is playing the role of Cardinal Alistra. Now, that's notable because she is playing that role in the War Doctor box sets. Oh. So we get some back history to how the Doctor knew Cardinal Alistra previously in his fourth incarnation. So just as a side note, Night of the Vashtanarada, Day of the Vashtanarada. The Vashtanarada live in shadows. So would it be better to tackle these things at night when they're are no shadows, or does that just mean they can slither around I think they can anything? Get, I, think they can, I would think they would be able to get anywhere. They would be better, where you can keep them confined to certain sections. Okay, then. Plus, I'd know what shadows to stay out of at night. There are no shadows. That's what I mean. So Everything the Eighth is Doctor shadow. is going to really have a hard time, because he's the Knight of the Fashion Rondo. Oh. <laughs> now I'm worried. That's exciting news. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't know how he met his uh, demise. Oh, wait, we do. <laughs> I'm still worried. <laughs> <laughs> and then our final bit of news: Planet Comic Con has announced Billy Piper, aka Rose Tyler, Yay. is coming to the convention this year. Last weekend in April, get your tickets. John Barrowman, John Barrowman, Captain Jack Harkness. So but Carol Barrowman's going to be there also. Yeah, Carol, John's sister, has done some writing for Torchwood. Mm-hmm. That's it for news. Exciting news it is. We don't have any feedback this week, but you can send it to feedback at trailingthevortex.com or just go to our websites and fill out the Send Us Feedback tab. We'd very much like to hear from you, and if you do send it in, we will read it out. Absolutely. Within reason. There's reason? Yeah. All right. <laughs> it wouldn't, News to me. <laughs> would do very well to say we would read it out within madness. I mean... It's all madness. <laughs> that's what would happen, but <laughs> I'm not going to tell people that. <laughs> Moving on to our reviews, The Settling. Here's the publisher's summary. I'm prefacing that because this is a weird one. Okay. Sir, having brought the army belonging to the Parliament of England before this place to reduce it to obedience to the end of a fusion of blood may be prevented, I thought it fit to summon you to deliver the same into my hands to their use. If this be refused, you have no cause to blame me. I expect your answer and rest your servants, O Cromwell. It was okay. <laughs> the uh, summary synopsis or the, <laughs> or the, or the story. story? The synopsis was okay. <laughs> That's thoroughly confusing to me. I give it a, th- give it a three out of five. <laughs> it's Can't really clever. dance to it. I don't think we usually rate the summaries, but... We Sometimes just, when they're weird ones. We do say whether we like the summary or not. It's got a good beat, but you can't dance to it. I like. I, I kind of like it because I, it, it steps outside the box of giving the average summary. It may not compel somebody to listen to it based on the fact that you've gotten a taste of what it is but it kind of sets you up to realize that hey this is going to be a historical it's going to be a cromwell story so that's true i think it works it works if you know who cromwell is <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of the story itself i quite liked it it's a good story there's no huge revelation here. It's 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 kind of a downer. It's a very yep. it's a very heavy story. 
Uh, but I think the performances knock it out of the park. And I think what it does best is it really... I mean, this is what, Hex's third or fourth outing with the seventh Doctor? Something like that. I think it really does a good job of putting things from a traveler's perspective. A traveler who's traveling through time with the Doctor. A companion's perspective of... You know, it isn't all rosy adventures. It isn't all fun and games. It isn't all mysteries and science. Sometimes you land places and realize that you know the events that are going to unfold and you have become a part of them. And I really like the fact that, in fact, I think it grew Hex's character tremendously because, especially formatting it in the way they do, where Ace and Hex are recounting the adventure within the TARDIS later and Hex is having to come to terms with it and Ace is his surrogate to kind of help, not surrogate his, the person that's his psychiatrist basically helping him come to to grips with it and I think it works best with Ace because Ace has been through so many heavy things and I think Curse was her uh, settling for Hex, I think she she's been through these kind of things and she can kind of take it more in stride now and yeah, Ghostlight would be uh, another one. Because they even referenced Which it. Which we got yeah, references she did. to. Yeah, yeah, she did. You're right. Um, took her to this house. Um, and so I think that she's had that sort of coming of age. And this is a really nice way to step Hex into the importance of what you have to deal with when you travel with the Doctor sometimes. And so I think that worked really well. I also like that it kind of spins the crumb. Cromwell's story, which we all kind of admitted we weren't very familiar with Oliver Cromwell. You guys are maybe a little less than I was. Cromwell's story, but it was really interesting to hear them meet somebody who I think is quite divisive in the UK as as far as the type of character he was, whether he was... He tends to be vilified. Yeah, he is often vilified, although he was... I think I saw somewhere he was... uh, list as one of the most important Britons like the top 20 most important Britons in history which I think find that interesting well you can still be important in villain um, I also think it's 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 the Cromwell character is really interesting from a perspective of he sort of his reputation has at least you're led to believe maybe outgrown the actual man and especially with the foreknowledge of uh, or the yeah, foreknowledge of history. <laughs> that sounds weird. Um, that the that Ace and Hex both know that these two towns fall to Cromwell and that there's quite a massacre in, in the meantime. And his reputation precedes him in that he doesn't seem to be as tyrannical as maybe he's portrayed in history. Although later on, he seems to have, he's a bit unhinged as well because he turns very quickly too. And so I like that exploration of the character as to maybe why Cromwell was that way, that he was, he didn't want to be this tyrant. He didn't, he wanted to give people a chance. When Hex asks him to release the guys, Hex doesn't think there's any chance that Cromwell would release those guys on down the road and Cromwell does and surprises him by it so I like where the story takes us in in stepping through the relationship that he develops with Cromwell Hex develops with Cromwell and how they become almost very close Cromwell is very uh, accepting of Hex challenging him quite often but then turning on him especially when he invokes God's name and it really kind of drives into that whole presence of Cromwell was a very devout man in fact I think he might have been Protestant but he was devout Protestant and sort of felt like he was doing the Lord's bidding and so I really kind of like that and uh, well even even not knowing who Cromwell was you get the impression this is a bad dude he's very evil or not evil but he's he's at least perceived he's perceived evil and vilified and then you get to experience you hear about how horrible of how horrible this person is, almost making him up to be another Attila the Hun, and then you get Hex in there and you start exploring his humanity, which is fascinating to listen to. Yeah, I agree. I liked all of the character building that we got with Hex. I loved all the character moments between Hex and Ace. I enjoyed the bits with the Doctor having to be a doctor. <laughs> uh, that was kind of and keeping him away from everything and, and keeping, keeping him, him yeah, from biting keeping him and... segregated from everything else and then having him deliver a baby yeah I mean what else can we pile on his plate okay this I enjoyed all of that I didn't like the story itself 
I had issue with the structure of the story. I think it would have been much more compelling had we not been doing flashbacks, knowing that Hex survived all of this. I think I would have been more engaged and trying to figure out what was going to happen next, not knowing if you survived. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that was the problem. Because I found each time... We, we know would... something horrible happened to him, and then the way they talk about it, it almost seems like it was worse than it really was. Well, which is why I like the structure of this, because frequently I could... What what happened that put Hex in this sort of mood or demeanor as he's talking to Ace? What happened? Oh, what, that what physical What horrible too. things happened to Hex throughout this story? And I think you're right. I think that they, they you're sort of led to believe that it was maybe even worse than it was when you learn about it. But I liked that. I liked that, oh gosh, that revealing back to where Hex had gotten to this point. I kind of liked that. So I liked structurally how they did it. I think it it, it was frustrating because I, I agree with you, Keith, that every time we were in the TARDIS, I would kind of be cool champing. be other places. Yeah, so. I, would, I was kind of chomping at the bit to get back to the story because I wanted to find out what happened to Hex. But every time we were in the historical part of it, I was kind of lamenting, well, let's hurry up and get back to, I want to know how Hex is dealing with this. <laughs> so I kind of kept bouncing back and forth, being being frustrated with it. But I think it works, I agree with Glenn on this point, that structurally you, you need to have it put this way because ultimately it's not about the suffering. It's not about the um, what Hex went through with Cromwell or how many times he may have almost died. It's about him blaming himself at the end for the fact that all these women and children died in this military action because he's the one that picked up a sword and let's hold the town even with the foreknowledge of knowing what's going to happen and becoming part of that history. And now he's kind of stuck in the, this is all my fault. Even though as a time traveler, well, it isn't. It's just, it's meant to be, yeah. uh, to, you know, well, how, how do you or, rationalize but that? It, you also have to come to terms with it. Is it cause and effect? Because right. would history have ended up this way if Hex hadn't been there and led the charge also? So I can see where Hex is coming from, where he's he's mulling this over and, and, and really trying to come to grips with the fact that this happened. Even with the foreknowledge of knowing that it happened, now he realizes there's a chance that he's the reason why it happened this way in the past. And that's why along. it works best with with Ace being his uh, his confidant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because she's kind of had not only a sampling of that, but a lot of experience with time travel and, and with this kind of thing. So she's kind of the best guide um, to get him out of that. And I think it's in a way it's kind of telling that the doctor's not there. I love that. Mm -hmm. the, the, love the, the doctor's that. not there. He's off dealing with Mary and getting her settled. And it, it almost is not not a plot contrivance because it's convenient. It's almost like the doctor knows and he's letting Ace take care of it because he doesn't feel adequate in trying to explain it to Hex. Yeah. So I think that was a really cool move too. Well, and I like the fact that they're, that even in the flashbacks, they're separated quite frequently and a lot of times i don't like that i like to have the doctor and the <laughs> companions always together i just like the the, te the team aspect of it um so a lot of times when they separate our characters in these stories sometimes i think oh here we go again this somebody's gonna be off here doing one story somebody's off here but this time it really works for me and what i really liked about this is this could have been easily one of those stories where the doctor didn't have anything to do because it was so x and haste he heavy mm -hmm. but the doctor's given a lot of things to do and coming down to almost being our only comic relief in this is the doctor when the baby comes and even ending the episode on that wonderful cliffhanger of the baby can't come here. I can't be expected <laughs> to deliver a baby. It's it's not meant yeah. to be overtly funny, but it is funny in a moment that you're thinking, oh my gosh, the doctor is having to deliver a baby, and he almost sounds like you know this isn't my purview. I can't do this. This I can't. But then to come back in that next story, and he knows exactly what he's doing. I loved that because well, I thought, it's That's it's one of those so situations that that it's such a heavy story throughout most of it that those aspects of it. The subtle humor lightens your mood a little bit, does, so you're not yeah. just depressed the entire time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It also makes a difference too with with separating the companions because I agree with you. I, I get, get very oh, they broke them up again because I want my team targets together. But I think it's interesting that with the Seventh Doctor run here with Ace and Hex, they've split them up on purpose. It, it's almost like the Doctor trusts Ace. You go deal with that. Unlike say. 
I'll pick on the Fifth Doctor stories where they get accidentally separated. Right. <laughs> yeah. He sends and then, Ace on a lot of missions. Yeah. I mean, and it just goes to show the difference in, you know, the difference in Doctors, but also the difference in companion mm-hmm. levels yeah. with what they're able to handle. What well, Ace has been through so much. With, it was weird to hear her seven. say when I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Because it, really, <laughs> I mean, because it, it, it puts it in perspective that she is mm-hmm. in her early 20s now. She's an older, you know, she's a, she's a grown-up. At least. She's matured yeah. a lot. Yeah. So. I, I also appreciated the fact that it was a pure historical. That there was no alien influence happening anywhere. Yep. It, it helped make all of what Ace goes through even more stark and more believable which is funny because we rarely get that in a seventh doctor oh. story almost every seventh doctor story with the exception of maybe cold it's that we listen to is has had some sort of alien influence or alien you know well, very very few stories in general well yeah absolutely but i mean with, with seven it seems like we we even get a lot more because i i guess my 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 thought is with the fifth doctor we've gotten a lot of the airman stories and those have been taking place yeah some in the of past. those have been yeah. even the fourth doctor adventures there's been a good number of those have been taking in the past now they they aren't necessarily pure historical in the sense that there's no alien influence because sometimes there is but well, i suppose no story is true pure historical because the doctor ace and well, or the doctor and companions absolutely is but an you alien can influence argue with that for the ones they call historicals from the <laughs> Troughton and uh, Hartnell eras. So I came out of this story thinking, wow, that was really hard to listen to. It was a really heavy story, but it was I, I quite enjoyed it from that perspective of how structurally it was done, how it explored Hex's character tremendously, and how it gave everybody something to do while still having them all separated. And it didn't frustrate me this time that they were all you know and they weren't always i mean ace seemed to be catching back up with the doctor quite frequently yeah which was which was nice to, to kind of you know uh they kept hex separated for so long because i think they also needed that uh character development of he thinks that the ace that the ace that the doctor and ace are dead mm-hmm. at one point which also drives his motivations for how he's going to act or react later because now he thinks he's on his own he's part of history and he's stuck here so that also drives the motivations is why he rallies the city against Cromwell. Too. And it was nice on the other side of the coin when they were they, they thought Hex was dead. And it's a big moment. And the, but then there's also the part of you that's going, oh, here we go. <laughs> we know he's alive. But then immediately they find out. They don't drag that out. They, yeah. they immediately find out that he's alive. And it's like, oh, okay. So, and, and Ace is really like, well, we'll just catch up to him later. You know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I hope that works out. I, I like how they handled the battle scenes of, especially in the first episode, quote unquote, how chaotic it was. You don't really know what's going on. It's just a lot of sta- a lot of things happening because it doesn't matter what's going on in the battle. What matters is that there is a battle, mm-hmm. and then we're dealing with the fallout of the battle is what's more important. And I really, I, I really appreciated that aspect of it. Did you guys catch the? Uh, Doctor Who the movie reference? No. They're starting to redecorate the console room. Oh, I didn't. I didn't catch that. No. Implying oh, that they're turning. I didn't think it. about that. Yeah, because huh. he makes she makes some line of also the the cathedral like. She does. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> I didn't catch it either. I squeed. <laughs> well, so now, I've always cu- been curious of when this transition now, happens. Now, now this, we know when that happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big finishes taking it upon them. I knew now they I've would. Now I've got to start resetting my brain every time they're in the TARDIS to know that <laughs> yeah. it's going to look different. Let's move on to our comics. we got seven issues to get through. Seven issues. So we got a two-part story and then a five-part story. This you... is back in the uh, the Tenth Doctor and Gabby and Cindy and uh, wrapping up our uh, Anubis problem. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't seem as much of a problem now. <laughs> <laughs> and Anubis doesn't seem as uh, maybe it's because of events that happen later but Anubis doesn't seem as unhinged as he did at the beginning of this uh, year or impatient or as impatient, impatient in yeah. and, and part of that I think comes from Dorothy yeah. I think she's very much tamed him and, and civilized him in such a way and they even make reference to that uh, in there as well but well, it, just having somebody to talk to I would think that being sentenced yeah. to Eternity on the yeah. spaceship because with only he, the robots his to only talk companion with. Was the seeker for the yeah. longest time. So having Dorothy around is 
Yeah. <laughs> She's going to be a stabilizing influence. I, I like the two issues that kind of set us off on our, our the continuing of our journey. Kind of the follow-up with the other audios or other music uh, monsters previously. Yeah. And it makes sense that it would be jazz and New Orleans. and uh, it, was, it was an enjoyable and... I'm glad it had brevity to it. I didn't want that one dragged out to three or four issues. Yeah. Two issues, I think, was just perfect enough to deal with the issue. It was and just the fact that we didn't us... truly deal with the issue, and then that comes back in later. Yeah, it, it was just enough to give us a sample of what it's like for Cindy. Now yeah. the shoe's on the other foot, and, and we're going to get Gabby's reaction to when it happens to somebody else. Um, and still, I don't know. We're still dealing with music and arts kind of stuff, which I. I really curious to know where this is all winding up <laughs> but uh I, I, the setting was great and everything everything worked well for that and you're right just two issues in out problem well, I, I, I like done. the fact that it does still build on its on the overall story mm-hmm. and the fact also that gabby reveals her powers to the doctor finally it's no right. longer that secret yeah finally <laughs> just it was it was just a nice kind of oh that's good and then five issue finale and I really am enjoying more and more and more the chemistry between these three. Oh yeah, that because uh, it initially kind of seemed like Cindy was a little bit of a tag along. Yeah, and uh, the Doctor and her didn't really click almost. Well, and that's where this story also helps, and the fact of she kind of has a little bit of the tragedy to understand how the TARDIS works and how traveling through time works, mm-hmm. kind of like with X. Yeah. It's, it's Not true. to that level of obviously, that, but that that is what I liked about these. I these two issues were just kind of there for me, but um, I did like the fact that we got some uh, Cindy character development because she has seemed so superficial up until now, and to have her fall in love with somebody in the past and have that kind of holiday romance, and then to have what happened happen with him uh, being taken over and then dying. Virtually, sort of, kind of quasi-sacrificing life, his life, because he even fought against it. Him and Paradisa both fighting against yeah. the the entity that's 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 controlling them, and so I kind of liked that as well. But overall, I just it kind of to me it, it felt a little like filler episodes. It felt, it felt like mm-hmm. filler issues to me, which I think they were they were because I think they wanted to get to this five part story arc that needed to. Uh, and I, think, I think we needed a little bit of more growth for Cindy to get to this fight part arc, Agreed. too. Agreed. So I think that's more the purpose of it than anything else. Agreed. I'm almost wondering if it wasn't filler, if it was just that the, the, the finale wound up being a much bigger tale to tell than what they initially planned on, which is why we got those extra two episodes. Well, it's easy to blame these two for, well, that's why it's 17, or, you know. But I, I, I blame well, issue seven, uh, issue 14. No. The one that they go to Gallifrey for unnecessarily. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had, uh, again, yes though, no. could have cut that entire issue. Again, and, though, I think because Cindy's character's been so superficial, I think they felt that they needed to do these things with her in order to bring her along for her role in the finale of this. And I think that's why the issues are added. I think those are early ads that pushed. I think this last story arc was probably. Uh, planned and the reason we got the two issues wasn't in that which maybe that one chunk of Gallifrey probably was but that was also trying to tie up somewhat tie up a loose end that we'd gotten with the, the witch in the, oh, in the one true. story with yeah. the, the, the kids that had been cast into the uh, yeah I forgot about unfortunately that we get there as though we're going to get some sort of resolution, and then we don't. We get another uh, string left we, hanging that we we're going to have to deal with later. I think yeah. it's setting it up for third season Yeah, I is, is so what too. that was. Which, and while it was kind of interesting to explore, it was like we have more pressing issues to deal with right, instead of right. this weird Gallifrey plot story that doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, and I enjoyed the fact that he went to ancient Gallifrey. And in fact, it was I think what made it the best ever was the fact that when he was trying to explain what these were, these dead ends, these these changes in time, were they were these were created by that and when he drops a big finish reference of <laughs> the axis yeah they used to put these but that's gone now i thought wow tight nice job pulling it all together well done that yeah awesome. that was definitely yeah. a squee moment yeah there's a reading that's going i know what that is yeah yeah <laughs> which is one of those you kind of feel like you're in a bit of a club when you do uh, that because yeah. you're like 
how many people are reading these because they watch the TV, the new series, and, and have no idea what that reference to yeah. Texas is? That was terrific for me as a fan moment. <laughs> well, let's get to Anubis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me go back. I do like the fact that they did the same thing with Cindy where she gets the romantic interest like they did with Gabby with the World War One uh, or yeah. World War Two story with the the one soldier she fell in love with. So and and again, as Ace was the best person to help her help Hex through that story, Cindy having already experienced something like that was also another companion to be able to help her through that loss as well. So I yeah. think that works as well. I think it, yeah, you're right. They pulled the wool over my eyes, quite honestly, going into the. The, the finale parts because we get that little blurb about Dorothy being able to uh, see into alternate timeline, timeline universes mm-hmm. because she's seeing the doctor running and, and Anubis is saying, oh, you don't need to worry about that. It's just a, it's just another thing. And then we hear Roscoe's music. And so immediately I went, Oh, well, obviously, Cindy's going to convince somebody at the end of this that she wants to go be with Roscoe, and they're going to say have this cheerful goodbye, and she's going to split off into her own little universe, and that'll be the end of that. <sighs> all right. And then they didn't go there at all. Now, they still might, I suppose, down the road. It's possible because we, we still have this Gallifrey timeline yeah. thing that we have to wrap up. Um, but I thought for sure that's where they were going to go with that, and I thought, oh, man, that's so heavy-handed for you to just throw it out there right at the beginning of this. And then that wasn't it at all. It was, was a like, nice oh. setup for a nice moment for uh, yeah. Cindy at the end. Yeah. Being able mm-hmm. to get the record and realizing that he did have a successful life in another timeline. So, um, I like Anubis. I do too. Yeah. I, do I like too. the Osiren arc. I, I, I've said this from moment one that it really was building to something truly epic. And when they walk around to the backside of the statue and there's all this... <laughs> uh, uh, Sutek is returning and death to everybody scratched into the it's like oh I mean we knew we knew Sutek was going to come back yeah but just to to get to that and see it it was like oh and then he shows up and of course uh, I love the the colorized word bubbles that he gets and everything's (laughs) in black and with white ink uh, or white typeface and the green well that's just it and it was nice to be able to offset Anubis's because that's how Anubis's dialogue has always yeah. been. Yeah. But to offset that with the green for Sutek I think worked really well. Well and did anybody else hear it in Sutek's voice? I totally oh, like yeah. the whole the whole thing played out very Pyramids of Mars. Oh, it yeah. was all yeah. it's, they they did such a good job characterizing uh, Sutek yeah. and bringing him to life on the page, which I was really Agreed. happy with. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um and the threat was credible. The threat was very dangerous and real. And then he makes all these bargains with these other entities. And I went, eh, okay. But they're from outside the universe in the void. Right. And they get into the real world. And then he goes and dispatches well, the destroyer. <laughs> it, it was also nice to see some of these deities that they've come up against in the, in the past. In fact, mm-hmm. that one two-story arc was a way to set up that last one. The big it's true. soundworm thing. Yeah. The Nocturne. Uh, that was a nice thing there. We also had one of the the, the stone, uh, the Ragnarok. Yeah, the, the Ragnarok. We had the uh, the World Eater. We had the. And it was it was really kind of cool to some of these ones that have either Which, been mentioned. It was so interesting to other... see like the comic stuff and then the two Seventh Doctors, yeah, monsters yeah. out of any, everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was interesting. Uh, so that was cool that there was a little bit of a payoff as to. There, there's a callback to some of the things that we've had, we've have already been have been established as well. So, yeah, it, it very nicely weighted that part of the story so that it wasn't just fanciful oh, monsters yeah. from the id. You know, it was yeah. like, no, I know what that is. But then the fact that he killed the destroyer, the world eater, whatever he was, the, the the blue one from uh, <laughs> from battlefield, uh, battlefield, yeah. and uses him to plug the hole open. <laughs> And so when the doctor initiates his master plan, which Sutek has predicted, he's like, why won't this work? Oh, there's a thing in the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fact that Sutek anticipated what the doctor would do. That was that was so great. And I felt I, I felt bad for, for the blue guy. Oh, <laughs> oh <yeah>. doorstop. <laughs> it, was, it was really kind of clever how 
all the whole time until nearly the end when when Dorothy surprises him that that Sutek does is a step ahead of the doctor the entire way and it really gives that you know anxious oh my gosh what can the doctor do <laughs> that Sutek hasn't already seen coming and so to have Dorothy be that surprise that she's the hand of uh, Sutek that he wouldn't have expected that it would have been this uh, Osiris human hybrid yeah. that, that would work against him I thought that was co- pretty clever Mm, that's the one part that I have trouble with. Really? Yeah. I it was. I thought it was clever, but I thought it was also convenient at the same time. It was. It was well, a little Deus Ex Machina. They, they had laid the groundwork it, enough that I thought it worked. It had did it just work. come out of nowhere, I would have been whoa. Yeah, what's, agreed, what's going agreed. on here? But I think that had they because they they made the callback to Dorothy's vanity being her weakness, and that she mm-hmm. had kind of brought this on because of. And even when she's relating the fact that that Gabby and and uh, Cindy need each other, that they're are very close and they have this great relationship and the doctor even tries to equate that relationship to of her and was it uh the her woman friend, her, yeah. Yeah. vivian was it vivian? vivian that's what it was yeah. vivian and she says no because i you know vivian lost we didn't have quite that relationship that they have and i i, I if they hadn't really called back to all of dorothy's flaws that she had her character flaws that she had then i would have had a problem with it because dorothy has been built up as this you know perfect being now but to be able to call back to that and her realizing that her sacrifice was what what needed to be made i think that worked really well it does i mean dorothy's a great character she went from being a kind of one-note villain to a very interesting piece of this puzzle and um I was very excited when they all came back and she's there waiting for him. And it was kind of like, it felt like old home week. Yeah. It was like, oh, cool, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was, just, it was a really great moment and I, I liked her a lot. But I think because Sutek was so ahead of the doctor and we had that sense of, oh, crap, now what? I mean, you just, you, you're not going to win. And I didn't know how he was going to get out of it. And I kind of kept waiting for the doctor to do something more clever than reversing the polarity. It was, it was, it was so much. It was it kind of reminded me of the eleven. There was so much buildup that was great, but, and but, then it but kind of stumbled at the end zone. Here's what I think was clever about that: is twice Sutek said the next step will be the Doctor. He'll even try to throw the hand of Sutek at me. He says that twice, <laughs> and. It's almost like he should have expected it's it. It's like he. That's what I really liked about it. that. Was clever. He was still seeing ahead. But the surprise was that the doctor didn't throw the hand of Sutek at him. The hand of Sutek <laughs> threw itself at him. That's what I thought was very clever. And so that's why it worked so well that Dorothy had become this thing that she could be the sacrifice. So it worked really, really well. And it was another thing where Sutek had seen it coming. He just didn't see it coming manifested the way that it came. And that was what was cool. Wanted the doctor to be the hero. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he's not always. He was. He put all the pieces in place. He just had to have that piece in place mm. in a little different way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how I felt about Anubis being kind of mind-wiped at the end of it. I, that seems a little strange. It, it yeah. was a little strange to me, too, but I kind of, I'm accepting of it because the whole time I kept thinking Anubis is still sort of unhinged, although I think that... that, that um, fragment of Sutek was was what was doing that to him. Yeah. But and once that's eliminated, then I suppose you could have the civilized Anubis. But the flip side of that is I kept thinking you still have this ancient Osiren out there who's omnipotent and it was still a threat and it could be a threat, could turn into a threat again. How do you fix that and by yeah. doing that that was the fix that i can that i can say okay we don't have to worry about this looming threat of anubis going crazy again you know or going mad or or deciding that he wants to transgress into the next dimension <laughs> again you know that was one of his obsessions was transgressing to the other side so i just I, I although actually, now he's alone again so well, I, it's but I was, still possible i was grateful happen. that that his mind was wiped and he was changed character wise so that it, we don't have to worry about that looming aspect of what if I mean he still could maybe get his memories back and but what the heck am I doing here <laughs> see I think I, I, for me I don't think Anubis was ever really the problem I think he was genuine well, I, I think I, he was through the whole thing I think he was genuine 
I think it took Dorothy's calming influence to really drive home the fact that he's not the villain right. of the piece. And you're right, it's that, that uh, horcrux splinter of yeah, Sutek that's, <laughs> that's, that's causing all the problems and making him go nuts. So, But I, I kind of liked the fact that he's set up as, oh, he's an Osiris, he's a bad guy, and it's like, no. No, he wasn't. He was just... And it, it, it was kind of a shame that he was such a puppet in this final act that he really didn't get... I, it would have been kind of nice if he could have had some sort of... To turn the tables on Dad. Yeah, yeah. to prove that, yes, I am. I have been a good guy. I haven't just been a puppet, or I haven't he, been... He does get that redeeming moment, though, when he saves Gabby. That's true. From Sutex. Yeah, so he did fight. He that. was able to fight back yeah. a little bit. I, I just kind of wish there was more of that. Yeah. That would have that. that probably would have worked for him. It almost if he'd would, been if, the one to rise up if Anubis had Dorothy. thrown the hand at yeah him something instead along of the those doctor, lines. or instead of the hand throwing it herself at him something along those lines it might have worked better for me. But overall, I think this was a better finale for yeah the, the, yes. the eleventh Doctor finale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So as much as I too. liked you know Absalom Dak and and River and everybody being in that, I just I think this one worked a lot better. It didn't it didn't it it felt world ending, but it didn't feel. So they didn't. It's not like they set the bar obviously so high that it was, you know, they stumbled across the goal line. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think they sprint. No, they don't think they sprinted. I think they jogged across the goal line again this time. But I think that it, this was much more serving for that kind of story. I agree with you, and I think the the reveal of it being Sutek, I think, was both calculated and very smart because if Anubis had turned out to be the bad pe- the bad guy of the piece. Well, we had gotten a reference earlier on that Sutek was returning. Right. But, in previous issues. But that's that, that's what I mean is that if if it had been Anubis all the way along and just the fact that it was the Osirens were back, it kind of would have been copying what had come before. Yeah, that's true. Um versus well, if we're going to bring back an Osiren, let's bring back the Osiren. Right. Let's bring right. back the the guy, you know. And I think that's maybe why a lot of Doctor Who hasn't touched Sutek, because he is such a powerful... Mm-hmm. I mean, you really have to kick gloves, handle some of these villains with with how dangerous they actually are. Yeah. And I think maybe Pyramid of Mars has kind of reached that, <laughs> that status. You know, you just don't touch that one. And it was cool that they found a way to do it and make it work. And I agree, the finale, while I had some issues with it, it was still vastly stronger than the 11th Doctor one. Yeah. Um, uh, and I hope going forward we are done with the Osirens. Let's, let's move on to other things. I don't I, think we are. I don't um, think we are either. J- just based on the uh, the very last comic, the where we're going, it sounds almost like Anubis is going to be part of the TARDIS crew for a bit. Yeah, I wonder. So I don't know if that's true or I, not. I don't but know kind of, either. I don't think they're done with Anubis anyway. I got the impression he was going to stay on the horizon and- I didn't get the impression it was coming on the TARDIS. Yeah, there's a little blurb at the very end of the comic that talked about it. Oh, yeah, there, there was a little blurb saying... Uh, What's next or something, you know. Yeah. We'll have to find out in season three. Oh, okay. that's, that's the bottom line. Um, real quick, I know we don't like to dwell on it. Really loved the artwork throughout these. Um, there's still a couple of moments, specifically with Cindy, which I thought was kind of weird, where she's almost anime it's, in her facial expressions yeah, but that's kind of what they it, just established it's with her. only in a couple of issues and it's really that's what it is i think it is it's just a hearkening to that anime style especially when there's overreactive big over yeah yeah surprised eyes open mouth i think yeah. the artwork kinda, is more consistent in this yes in these, the, these seven issues here so and i've really enjoyed the artwork in these seven issues i feel like they've done a, a, a very good job of you know, vast scapes are beautiful, and character moments are character moments, and yeah. the TARDIS is the TARDIS. So it, it's all working very nicely for these. So I, I kind of hope they keep this creative team on board. I would agree. So what it says is, all change. Hold on to your hats. Next we see the Tenth Doctor, Gabby, and Cindy, and Nubis. They are going to be very different. Okay. I did not read that. I liked how they, a Sutek, or a new, a new tech. A new tech, yeah. When, when, he, when he was, yeah, and now it's possessed. Nubis. Clever, clever. All right, what do we got coming off the schedule, Sean? Well, coming up on the schedule, you should all be hip deep into reading Doctor Who, City of Death by Douglas Adams from a story by David Fisher, written by James Goss. I should have that finished this week. I'm most of the way through it. Good, because you need to have it finished oh. this week. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that what you're alluding to? That's what I'm alluding ah. to. Is this, is, this is on the schedule for next week, which means, of course, our Friday night Who Doctor Who watch along, which are all welcome to join us. Uh, we push play at midnight on Friday. 
will be City of Death with Tom Baker and uh, Bala Ward as Romana and uh, the incomparable Duggan. <laughs> Bye-bye, uh, Duggan. I can't wait. <laughs> and then we'll be talking the book and reviewing it and what we thought and what we liked and what we didn't like and all that jazz. And if you are interested in more, the schedule is posted on our website. Feel free to do your homework and follow along. All right. Well, if you're uh, supporting us on Patreon, we appreciate it. And if not, uh, well, why not? Uh, you can click on that link on that page. You can uh, support us on a month-to-month basis, and all of that money comes back into this podcast. And for those of you that are supporting us, thank you very, very much. Also, be sure to check some of those other links on the right-hand side of our page, travelingthevortex.com. If that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.